0: Welcome back. We are Stacks on Stacks, the weekly radio broadcast from the University Libraries at Virginia Tech. And we are coming to you live on tape over 90.7 <laughs> FM, WUVT, radio for everyone in Blacksburg and beyond. Because you may also be listening on, what's the website, Kira?
1: It's wuvt.vt.edu.
0: So easy, I should have remembered it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, today, Kira, uh, my name's Joe, and this is Kira. And that is me. <laughs> we are joined today, Kira, uh, by two folks from the uh, Virginia Tech Libraries who were part of a group that, is, that put together a conference that you and I and several of us attended this past week coming into the weekend, um, the annual, second annual meeting of the Chesapeake Digital Humanities Consortium. The 2021 theme for the conference was social justice and online activism and we have joining us corinne gimont who is the um the digital scholarship coordinator with virginia tech publishing in the libraries and alex Kinneman, who is the digital preservation coordinator in the libraries and they were on the group that planned and executed this conference um and they they might argue otherwise, but I think very skillfully and satisfactorily.
1: I was actually in another meeting this morning and already singing its praises to some other people. And I can't wait for yeah. other people to be able to see some of the panels that they didn't get a chance to see.
0: I thought it was a great conference, and um, the reason I say they might argue otherwise is because of some technical difficulties of it being entirely virtual. And last year it snowed, and they canceled half a day. So it seems to be like a running theme of the conference that there's this adaptation to adverse adversity. Um, but uh, I thought it went great, and I'm really happy to welcome our guests and talk to them, Corinne and Alex. Welcome, and thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so, for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Would y'all like to select what you would like to cause problems for next year's conference? We've had snowstorm. We've had 100% virtual. <laughs> what would you like to select for next year?
0: Frogs or zombies? I think I'm going to hope that I'm
1: the running problem here and
2: that next year I won't be on the planning committee. So maybe they'll be successful.
0: <laughs>
3: oh, hardly. I'm I'm voting zombies myself. Yeah. But. Okay. Okay.
0: So uh, let's let's back up a second and talk about the group before we get into the proceedings, and and we could get into like moving a conference to online and touch on all these things. Um, but uh, let's talk about the digital, the Chesapeake Digital Humanities Consortium to begin with. Uh, Corinne, you were one of the founding organizers of this consortium. Could you talk a little bit about sort of digital humanities in general and this kind of outreach to uh, to um this scholarly outreach to counterparts across different universities regional consortiums what uh what sort of is the motivation behind the creation of this body
2: yeah so um for those that aren't familiar there's this kind of concept of digital humanities which is a combination of using digital tools and technology along with research or presentation of humanities I think is probably the most succinct way to define DH as we often call it. Um, There are debates going back 10-20 years about how to actually define it, but for the sakes and purposes of this conversation let's say that. So um, back in 2019 I actually got an invite to attend a general meeting um, at University of Richmond Uh, with people from a bunch of different institutions, University of Virginia, University of Richmond, um, Washington and Lee, trying to remember who else is there, uh, George Mason University, a whole group of people. And there were basically talks about some sort of consortium that would kind of allow for more collaboration among institutions within digital humanities. So I went to that meeting, I think it was May 2019. Um, It was a very hot day. I remember it being like 98 degrees in Richmond. But it was really interesting, had an opportunity to meet people I didn't know before. It was great because it wasn't just library folks. There was also some professors, some instructors, um, just a wide variety of digital humanities people. Um, And we basically spent a day meeting talking about what our goals would be, what everybody's different interests would be, um, and then also what the structure of something like this would look like. And we came up with having some sort of annual conference was the number one goal, kind of continue to allow people to share their work and research and kind of foster an area for collaboration. And that is what led us to last
0: week. <laughs> so an area for collaboration, um, and that begins to speak to the value of networking like this. Could you, for either of you, um, elaborate on that a bit um, regarding connecting with your counterparts at other universities?
3: So for me, um, I'm not directly involved in digital humanities for my job, but I can say connecting with other folks who do my job in other institutions. So working with digital preservation tools and technologies and policies, um, I learn so much from them. I get new ideas, uh, we can soundboard and we share information and that is so vital because you can only find so much online. You can only dig into so much yourself um, but making those connections is crucial for me to do my job, and I imagine it's the same with digital humanities. Um, we had some amazing, amazing sessions, uh, especially the panels. Uh, for me, were very just amazing, influential into my thinking of digital humanities and seeing how far it has expanded since uh, I was taking classes in DH. You know, back way back in undergrad. Um, But just making some of those connections for other people and getting new ideas, I think, was um, the core for me for this conference.
1: And I would say that's true for archives, too, as somebody who attended this conference, you know, I digital humanities is not a huge focus of my job, but I'm involved in that work, whether it's capturing and preserving and providing access or consulting on a project so like this was really great i I enjoyed a lot of this conference too for the same reasons like i got to hear about projects i didn't know about that are relevant to me i got ideas in my brain that are gonna you know create more work for me but
3: (laughs) oh yeah no i accidentally um made a connection with one of our lightning talk speakers uh he brought up the point that you know, in a couple of years, I'll probably let this project die. Like I'll I'll publish my final paper on it. And, um, you know, I can't afford to keep the server space going and it's a lot of maintenance and I'm the only one maintaining it. And I happened to be moderating that session. I was like, oh, let me help. I can totally, totally meet up with you and we can come up with some, some kind of digital preservation strategy for your site that goes a little beyond screenshots and more into like full full preservation mode. So that was exciting for me personally.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was in that session and that was a poignant moment, one that resonated with the room and one that sort of highlighted the value of DH as a space where humanists can connect with preservationists. And I think it was in that same panel where someone made a similar point about humanists connecting with computer scientists. And the conference was full of moments like that. So the panels were great, the speakers were great, and there were also these, what, what is it, how I built this uh, sessions, and so mm-hmm. aimed at just seeing what, not just what people are doing, but how they did it. And it speaks to the, uh, the desire of folks to not have to reinvent the wheel, right? To see what other folks are doing, to um, um, see how it could help what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. those
2: were some of my favorite sessions. Um, I think it came up last year at the end of the day when we were in person um, with the snow day, we ended up like throwing a little discussion session in and we asked people what they would like to see more of in the future. And somebody had said they want to know more about how people built their projects, that they hear a lot about like the research behind it, but they're really interested in how that projects are actually built. And that really stuck with me. So when we started planning for this year, I suggested it and Alex and our other steering committee member, Shana Maskell, um, as well as the planning committee all liked that idea and Um, I I went to some of the presentations, I thought they were really fascinating because we have people talking from like, how I built this on this like full, big, complicated, basically website. And then there's somebody, I I saw another presentation of how I built like an Instagram movement, kind of fitting in the theme of online social justice. And I thought
3: it really showed through in some of the individual presentations as well. I I felt like it was a good balance of the research behind the project, but also the infrastructure, the technical infrastructure of the project. Um, And I will say I witnessed several speakers interacting with each other and asking questions and like wanting to connect later. So that was a a solid win. That was really fun to witness.
1: I feel like that's one of the things where we can take away the most from this kind of conference. Like we are all working on these projects and we don't i mean sometimes we need to reinvent the wheel but sometimes we don't we just don't know what it is that we need and like i was i was watching the projects that some people were talking about and being like huh well i could see how that like that piece of the puzzle could be adapted for something i'm doing or huh i really want to get involved in this kind of work and i can see how this would be a good way to do that kind of thing
0: yeah and it comes back to corinne's definition of dh of digital humanities right uh, about it's centrally about tools and technology so folks who think of themselves as digital humanists are gonna bring that aspect of it to the fore at meetings like this um because so there's discussions about like when when do we stop calling it digital humanities When is it just humanities again because like the digital aspect of it is is just like the air we breathe the water we swim in um now um so the the theory behind it like you guys are saying is interesting and all But it's digital humanities because of the way um, folks are mobilizing these tools and technologies to get stuff done that they maybe couldn't get done with data sets and other things in the past.
3: Yeah, and it's also important to note that a lot of of digital humanists don't have that technology background and they are self-taught or learning from friends who kind of know something or other that they can sort of apply. Like it's, it's almost homegrown in a lot of cases. Um, when I was in undergrad, there were not a lot of programs that taught digital humanities or taught tools and technologies within the humanities, right? And I think I'd say half of the speakers that I saw present at this conference said, yeah, this is totally new to me. I figured this out last year or like, yeah, I kind of started doing this a while ago, but I'm still figuring it out. Help. Uh, Anybody have suggestions or feedback? And it's a very unique field because some people have very distinct definitions and other people have very broad definitions. I would have said DH is studying the humanities, with tools and technologies to learn things that we could not otherwise. That was the definition I got um, originally. So it it all almost means the same thing, mm-hmm. but you can take it a lot of different directions. And
0: it's and a great point. Go ahead.
1: I was gonna say as as, a, as all four of us are sitting here talking, and we all are part of a, a digital humanities group within the library. Um, you know, we we keep saying digital humanities and DH, but of course we all know it's bigger than just the humanities too um and I think that's that's something that um that certainly came through at the conference as well for me some of these projects were distinctly embedded in the humanities but you know many of them were not because they they move into you know social sciences and then into the the hard sciences and things like that
2: so well I mean even the keynote speaker Amanda French was talking about the COVID-19 tracking project and She distinctly said that she doesn't consider it a DH project, it's much more like a data journalism project, but DH has influenced her work on that project. And I think even thinking about how what we've learned in DH and what maybe we're teaching, especially given the focus on some of the student-led groups that were a part of this conference, what we're teaching students in DH courses and how that might affect other work is really important to think about as well.
0: Yeah, and... and Amanda talked about uh, the value of hand-collecting data, right, within her project, and uh, it made me think that uh, that it's not just about bringing tools and technologies to bear on the humanities, but bringing a sort of human-centered perspective to bear on, like, the manipulation of data sets and statistics um, with those tools and technologies.
3: Absolutely. There was the coolest... um Presentation that I did not see coming, and it combined the concept of the option for the poor, which is a religious concept, with cyber ethics. And that was a really, really fascinating combination that I would not have made in a million years. But that bringing the humanistic approach to cyber ethics was the point of his discussion. And yeah, I just. Very intriguing. Yeah,
0: yeah, indeed. I mean, I wasn't in that session, but that's what the a human centered perspective draws out. That social justice, which was the theme of the conference, is relevant in any social context.
2: Kind of on the same realm. Tom Ewing, who is a professor here in history, talked about his data and social context class and in his presentation, which is kind of exactly that. Like, how do we apply? um a human centered approach to looking at the data that we're studying um and he talked a lot about like looking at um data and labor like child labor statistics um and specifically looking at pictures and having students kind of dig into that and take a closer look and think of thinking about these as not just numbers but as, as actual people
0: yeah well um Could we switch gears for for a bit and talk about the conference itself? And there's two things I'm interested in here. And uh, one is sort of the adaptation to an entirely virtual program. I'd like to talk a little bit about that because I think it's something that a lot of folks are wrestling with during this pandemic. Um, And also, um, I'd like to talk about sort of the regional aspect of the consortium and how that was sort of um, challenged a bit by the international uh, nature of the guests at the uh, on the various panels. Um, yeah, I mean, there are folks from um, from India and I think Singapore, and there's a, a lot of different, uh, very widespread participation. Um, so, regarding the uh, the conference itself, could you guys speak to those two points in whatever order you like?
2: Yeah, we were not expecting that big of a reach. I was thinking this was going to get like our typical Virginia, Maryland, maybe some North Carolina, West Virginia folks, but I was not anticipating Singapore or Moscow. <laughs> um, uh, but people submitted, and the proposals if we were good, and we left it up to the planning committee who was reviewing proposals to decide. And they asked the—I think somebody asked the same question of, "Should we be accepting these proposals proposals out from outside of our region?" And we said. Why not? <laughs> yeah,
0: it yeah, really enriched it. it, yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's just a
3: good opportunity for folks outside of our usual sphere of you know, networking to interact with us and for us to interact with them and learn from each other. That's one of the benefits of the virtual environment is wider connection. That's been really great.
0: So how was that, doing it virtually?
3: Well, you'd think we would have had a better handle on it, considering we've been attending virtual conferences for a year. Um, we thought about because you know, creating a CFP and distributing it and getting proposals—most of that occurs online, virtually, anyway. So that that was um, maybe not as challenging because it was just staying organized as you would need to do, but. <laughs> sorting out how we were going to uh, have the presenters interact with the audience. We've been in conferences where it's live and we've also had conferences where everything is recorded and everything, the recordings open up at a designated time and we all watch together and interact on Slack. So we were like, how do we kind of get an in-between of that and make it work? And we had discussed doing Zoom webinar for everything, Uh, but anyone who's familiar with Zoom versus Zoom webinar, um, you don't get to see who all is in the room with you. You don't get to interact as much except in the chat. You can't see people except the panelists and it's just a little less interactive and engaging than a normal Zoom meeting. So then we went with the Zoom meetings and shenanigans ensued.
0: I don't think it was too bad though. I think generally it was, it went smoothly, the adaptations that you had to make, uh, you did quickly and, uh, I felt no, um, ill effects.
3: People responded very gracefully to us. They were forgiving and accommodating. Um, we had a few folks who were clearly frustrated, but ultimately, um, the general reaction was supportive. Uh, and I, I definitely don't blame the folks that were a little more frustrated than others. It was uh, terrifying on our end because we were so scared of presenters not having enough time or not being able to find where they were supposed to be. Um, that was that was scary because our our whole goal is to support the presenters. and if we if we can't get them to their rooms on time with enough time to present, uh, that was it was just scary. but i We mostly pulled it off. Um, I think we're still a little exhausted and possibly insane, but it was well worth it by the end. I mean, just seeing the quality of the presentations and the diversity of the presentations was astounding.
1: And we should note that these are are going to be available, these presentations, for people, correct?
2: Yes. Yes. And even some of the ones that got missed due to technical issues or time zone issues, um, we're asking those presenters if they're willing to record themselves and we'll make those available. Um, So we're trying to make sure everything is available in one way or another. Yes, and trying to make sure
3: that anybody who missed a session um, gets credit for presenting in this conference, uh, which is why we're asking for the recordings and asking for slides to make sure um, they can still claim it on their CVs and still um, know that they presented and participated and have that uh, written down. Which I think we only (laughs)
2: missed like two presentations. So in the grand scheme of things, thinking that we had three presentations going for two days at the same time, two presentations is actually pretty good.
3: Yes, we were lucky. We were lucky in that. But we still, we reached out to them independently and asked if they would consider submitting. And I think uh, two, both of them, said yes. Sure.
0: Great. So is there a place you could point our listeners to where they could see information on this as it becomes available? A website or something?
3: Absolutely. So it is the chesapeakedh.github.io. And that's our main website page. Um, All of the information about this conference will be on the conference 2021 page which links directly from the main page and hopefully in the next week we'll have links to the repository and all of the slides and recordings as well
0: and i will i don't know if you've noticed this kira but i've been making a habit of um filling out the Mm -hmm. we're we're pre-recording this we've been doing our show pre-recorded all uh and i'll um all pandemic and when we upload it as like a song and a track i've been uh filling out the metadata so that it translates to the last 15 played page as as websites where there's there's relevant uh so i can put the consortium's website as like the album or something for this song
1: did not know you were doing that awesome yeah something i sort of started doing doing
0: secretly yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah if folks want to see that uh that website that Alex just repeated, um, it should show up. And now I'm promising this, so I hope everything goes as I'm intending, um, in the last 15 played playlist during our show.
3: Yeah, that's so exciting. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and make the plug here. We are looking for people to serve on this, uh, steering committee for the conference for 2022. So all of the information about, um, 2020 and 2021 conferences is up and the history of this group is on the website. So if you're interested, definitely get in touch. There's an email on the website for you to contact us through. Yes.
0: Well, thank you guys so much for talking with us. It's been a pleasure.
3: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. This was fun.
0: Yeah, our guests have been uh, Corinne Guimont and Alex Kinneman, who were on the planning committee for the annual meeting of the Chesapeake Digital Humanities Consortium, the theme of which was social justice and online activism.
1: So we are Stacks on Stacks here on WUBT 90.7 FM and we will send you back to some music for the latter half of our show.
0: mm <laughs>